0: I'm glad that song's a reality. Amen. Amen. I'm glad that He will furnish the grace. If we'll furnish the man or woman, boy or girl, if we'll furnish ourselves, He'll give us the grace. There's not one of us that could have made it without His grace. None of us could be good enough. None of us could have been smart enough good-looking enough or rich enough or anything else enough if you didn't provide the grace. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. The book of Isaiah, chapter 64. Isaiah is the... He's the real uh, intellect of the Old Testament. Um, God used... Uh, him, in a mighty way, served in the, um, in the courts of the king. In fact, some believe that Isaiah may have even been related to the king. <coughs> Isaiah seems to have a special favor. And of course, Isaiah sh- shares uh, a unique uh, Unique thing in that um, has as many chapters in it as there are books of the Bible, and uh, I, I'm not sure if that was a coincidence. We know the chapters are not uh, inspired of God, um, but thankful uh, for the Book of Isaiah, and oftentimes we read Isaiah during Christmas time. But as uh, I'm remembering and, and thinking about the fact that we are um, going to be going into revival. So much of uh, what Isaiah has to say, I believe, would speak to us. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 64. This is a prayer of Isaiah. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we had looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have they seen, uh, the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him at, that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, that these that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. And those in continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our, unright- uh, all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay. Thou art potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we now beseech Thee. We are all Thy people. I'd like to lift for a text Uh, the words found in the middle of the very first verse, that thou wouldest come down. That thou wouldest come down. Father, we need your help this morning. I know I say that every time that I have to preach. Lord, they're not just words. We mean it. We need your help. So we ask that you'd come. You've been here. We're asking you to stay, and that, Father, that you would anoint your word, yes. and Lord, that it would find a resting place in each one of our hearts, for your glory, for your honor, for all. and may you receive all the praise. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I've been thinking of a question this week. How do you pray for revival? How do you pray for revival? It's something that for the last several weeks, is that it's been on our uh, prayer list and in our bulletin that we are, uh, uh, a, we've tried to encourage you during the prayer time to make time for prayer, pray for our revival. I have encouraged you to fast for our revival if you're physically able to do so. But how do you pray for revival? I think it's an important question. So oftentimes I think that we uh, make a, a request, or, or we maybe even sounds like demands. I hope it doesn't sound that way. But uh, we make requests. We, we, we ask you to, to do certain things and yet we don't explain how to do it. I remember I was, uh, when I was working uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the realm of uh, uh, schools and trying to help teachers to work with uh, special needs kids, I was actually in a special needs classroom. And one of the teachers got really frustrated one time with uh, one of her students. The classroom had an awful problem with tattling. And of course, you know, as parents, uh, that tattling can get real annoying real fast. And I don't know why it is, but, but it seems like children really experience a lot of schadenfreude, the, the, the joy at another person's suffering when, when their sister or their brother finally gets what's coming to them. And so there seems that, that there is an epidemic among all children, probably of all cultures, that tattling is, is, is uh, just something that just cannot be avoided. And so I remember she got after the class, and she was getting after him for tattling and, and really made a, a big deal about it. And after the kids were gone, and of course, it was, this was my job, and so I was talking to her about the situation, and I said to her, do you know what tattling is? Do you, do you know the definition of tattling? And she kind of looked at me. She was like, well, I know it when I see it. <laughs> The problem was in all of her complaining about their tattling and trying to get them to stop tattling, she never described, she never explained what it is she wanted them to stop doing. Stop tattling doesn't mean anything if there are things that you want that child to tell you. If there's two kids that are fighting in the back that she doesn't see, she wants to be informed. If, you know, if, if your kids are, you know, one of your kids is out and they're playing with a lighter, you want your other kids to tell you. There are certain behaviors you want to be informed about. But there's other behaviors, just let it go. And so oftentimes, and especially in the case of that teacher, I actually had to tell her, had to help her to develop a definition of tattling so that she could work through it with her classroom so that she could make sure that she was uh, communicating clearly what things she wanted told to her and what things she didn't want told to her. And I think about that, and and it's just an example of, of how we can get into that. We have these words that we often use, tattling is a word probably everybody knows, but few know the definition. Few know how to stop tattling because they don't know what they're supposed to tell and what they're not supposed to tell. And I wonder this morning, do we know how to pray for revival? Is that something that we've talked about for, for as long as you've been in church? I'm sure that you've heard Pastors uh, and and different ones say we need to pray for revival. But do you know how? I feel like Isaiah has given us a beautiful picture of prayer for revival in the 64th chapter. And I really appreciated those words, that thou wouldest come down. O Lord, come down. Oh, that the Lord would come down in our revival. It, you know, I, I, I'm reminded as, as, uh, that you know in every service, we, and I say it, and, and, and every time I say it, I kind of mentally kind of kick myself. And, I, and I'll say to, to someone, would you please pray for the Lord's presence to come in this service? Would you invite the Lord's presence? The Lord is always here. He's always everywhere. We speak that way and really what what we mean if we were going to be accurate in our language is, Lord, help us to be aware of your presence. Your presence is already here. We don't need to pray for God's presence. We need to pray for us to be open and aware to recognize that His presence is here. You can go into the, the dirtiest cesspool on earth of sin you can find the most wicked and horriblest place that you can imagine where sin abounds and in, in all of its glory, where it's enjoyed and it's feasted upon. And God's presence is there. Now you say be awful hard to sense God's presence in that kind of place. But oh that we would be constantly aware. That we would be constantly aware that wherever we are, we're in the presence of the Lord. But how is it, if God is everywhere, that Isaiah prays, Lord, would you please come down? Would you please come down? Lord, that you would rend the heavens, that you'd just take heaven and rip it open and come on down. I believe that what Isaiah is trying to show us through the imagery of poetry is that we need God to come in such a way that there is no doubt that He has been present. Isaiah would say, O Lord, come down and be known. He talks about how the, the, uh, the mountains would tremble and shake and uh, and there, his presence, that that the enemies of God would, they would, they would be aware that God was, was there and, and very powerful, that that the mountains uh, would flow, would just like the, the mountains would just melt in his presence like a snow in the spring. You all don't know about that. <laughs> Oh, that God's presence would, be co- would come to the place where He would be known. That we who are His children would recognize and know that He's here. Folks, I, I, I'm concerned. I, I, I carry a heavy burden because I'm concerned that our young people have not known the presence of God to the place where they can have no doubt that they have been in the presence of Almighty God. I, I want that our, our children and our young people to experience God and our services in such a real way that no matter where they go in this world and, and no matter how deep into sin they go, they cannot forget that the times when God manifested himself in such a way that, that they would say, I know the tears of God. I cannot deny it because I've experienced it. I've chosen a different way. I've chosen to serve myself. Or, or maybe, maybe, and oh, God, may this be the case. They can't get away from it so far. They won't go out and do those things. That they won't get far away from God because they have seen the presence of God so real and so powerful. They say, I don't want anything else. I've been spoiled for whatever this world has to offer. And I believe that with all of my heart that when we have experienced the authentic power and presence of Almighty God, when we have known Him, you can't get away from it. Folks, I'll just be honest with you this morning, I'm just too spoiled by the power and the presence of Almighty God in my life, I just don't have any interest in what this world has to offer me. I just don't have any interest in what this world has to offer. They they can offer their, their money, their mansions, they can offer their pleasures... They can offer all the, uh, all the uh, gold and diamonds, whatever this world believes is valuable. Folks, I tell you, I've experienced a treasure that's richer than all of this world's treasures combined. Because I have. Known Him. He has come down. Do you remember when God made Himself known to you? Do you remember when God came down in your life and He was made known? I remember as a, yo- I was a young person, I was angry and bitter. I remember that, that, that I, I was at uh, uh, enmity with God in my heart. But I remember that service when God got a hold of my heart and he made himself known to me. And folks, I had no option but to yield myself to his authority. Because I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real. And I had to yield myself. Oh, that folks, that that God would come down and be known to us again and again and again and again. That it wouldn't just be that one time, way back there at an altar of prayer, but it would be that in our devotions and in our church services, and on our way to work, and on our way home from work, and in the classroom, and in your uh, maybe even while you're at work, that God would come down and be known, Amen. Amen. and that the that our community would know. He said, those, uh, the enemies of God, you know, if you're not saved this morning, you're an enemy of God. But oh, <laughs> if you're going to have an enemy, pick God because, if you, because he's quick to forgive. <laughs> oh, if you're, if you're interested in, in, in surrendering yourself to him, if you're interested in, in, in having him as a friend, he's willing to do it in a moment. But oh, oh, that our community, oh, I wonder, I wonder this morning how many in our community know this is a place where God can be known. Oh, that there would be something going on here at the little church that the whole community would be talking about it. We don't know what's going on. You know, it used to be a time when revivals, uh, God would move in on services so much so that the newspapers and the, so would send the reporters in. Oh, that, oh, that the the, the that the uh, little papers uh, around here would have to send their reporters to find out what was going on, and then get saved in the services. <laughs> You say, preacher, you're talking nonsense. Those things don't happen today. Well, I believe if God would come down and be known, I think it would happen. Oh, that God would come down in this little service, in this little church, and that God would make himself known so that all around tongues would be wagging. Oh, oh, that God would be known in all of his power and all of his glory and all of his majesty. They wouldn't be talking about some great preacher that came in, and Brother Zekman's a great preacher. They wouldn't be talking about the music. They wouldn't be talking about, about the, the sermons. They wouldn't be talking about the singing that going on. They wouldn't be talking about, uh, about how friendly we are, uh, although all those things are important. But that they would say, when we go to the little church, uh, that God is known. He's come down. He's come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, O oh Lord. You just tear them apart and just come right on down that we might know you. But not only that He'd be known, but that He would know us. Oh Lord, come down and know us. Isaiah said that, Lord, we need you to reveal our sins, that we've been sinning a long time and continuously. You know, I think this is the first part was really, you know, we could praise the Lord about, but this part makes us a little nervous. For God to really know us. And God began to take out His flashlight. And He began to search our souls and search our hearts. And reveal the secret places that we'd like to keep covered up. I don't think we're too interested in, in having God shine his spotlight on those things that we just say, well, I'm only human, when really they're things that God would like to take care of. Uh, you know those things that, that we say, well, you know, the, the, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Oh, folks. It, when God comes down and begins to reveal himself to us and then reveal us, ourselves back to ourselves, you make us uncomfortable. The amen start drying up. The hallelujah start drying up when, we start, when God begins to, to put His searchlight on, on our heart and he begins to say, you know, son, you've been testifying over top of this you, you keep falling in this area, and you've asked me for forgiveness, but, and I've forgiven you, but you weren't quitting the sin business in this area. And you're testifying over top of it. You know, daughter, the attitude that you have is not becoming of a daughter of God. That attitude, that the those the the way that you talk about people, that your your spirit of complaining is not a, a spirit that comes from me. Oh Father, would you come down and reveal us? Know us. You know it's a wonderful thing to know God, but it's a it's an important thing not more important perhaps, but it's an important thing nonetheless that we know ourselves. And I'm afraid that so oftentimes that in our circles, we, we preach about living above sin, that we excuse our sin and just call it a mistake, a human, a human failing. Oh, that God had helped us. Oh, that God would help us. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you don't ever have, need to use your reverse gear. I'm not saying you never have to say you're sorry for, for uh, uh, a word spoken out of turn. I believe a sanctified heart has is, is got a really good reverse gear, and it's worn real well. Amen. Saved and sanctified people ought to be the quickest to apologize. Because we're careful people. You know, that's what we used to be known as, as careful people. But I'm afraid that we've gotten careless. We've gotten careless because we just kind of make excuses for our behavior. Instead of, I'm sorry, it's, I'm only human. Instead of, instead of going to the altar and saying, Lord, I, I keep stumbling in this area. I keep getting tripped up in this area. We, we just sit in our pews and hope nobody notices that we're not quite as holy as we'd like to think we are. He says our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what our righteousness is? Our righteousness is when we try to follow God's commandments in our own strength and our own power. That's our righteousness. It's when I'm trying to walk after the things of God in my own strength. When I am trying to live above sin in my own Willpower, folks. That's not holiness. Living above sin by your own willpower is not holiness. When the Holy Spirit cleanses our heart, He takes out the bent towards sinning and He replaces it with it the Holy Spirit who begins to be take control. And we folks, we, when we realize, when we realize we're under temptation, when we realize that that that, that the Satan has, has come to, 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 to tear us down, it isn't, I'm just not gonna do it. It's Holy Spirit, help me, give me the power to overcome. That's the heart of a sanctified person. It's not gritting your teeth. It's not demanding of yourself self-control. The Spirit gives self-control. We've got a counterfeit holiness that's running around that says that we live above sin. We don't. The Holy Spirit lives above sin in us. And when we find ourselves in that place where we feel like, like there's no other, that there's no hope and there's no way of escape, that we just yield ourselves to the power of God. That's the spirit of holiness. That's the heart of holiness. Folks, you don't have enough willpower to live above sin. I don't care how long you've been serving God you don't have enough willpower to do it. You'll, your bad attitudes will creep up. Your, your selfishness will creep up. Your desires for, for your own uh, pleasure, for your own uh, uh, desires, those, those things that, 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 that tie us to this world will overcome your willpower every time. Oh, you might have success for a period of time. You may have success for a while. But your righteousness will crumble. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees. Wow. I mean, they're so careful that I mean they, they would make sure that they would, their robes were, wouldn't touch the ground lest they'd touch a dead bug and become unclean. I mean, they're so careful that they tithe their houseplants. I'm not even going to ask if you tithed your garden. I mean, they're so careful. I mean, they just, you, could, you, could, you couldn't live it You couldn't live it. I mean, they got so many rules and regulations. Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. How can we do that? I mean, that's all they ever did was just be holy. How? The Pharisees did it all by willpower. They'd see a woman coming down and they'd cover their eyes. I mean, they'd run into the wall trying not to see, not to look at her. Praise God, you can have something deep inside. You can look at her and not have one bit of lust in your heart. You don't have to go around blinded. You can have something in your heart that takes care of that. You don't have to to take make sure that you don't touch anything unclean. Wherever you go, you make it clean by your presence. Well, there are not very many amens there. Remember, I worked at when I was working at UPS loading tractor trailers. I tell you what, that was not a clean place. I mean, folks, they the language there was awful. We were, we, in the summertime, the, the ladies would come in and they were barely dressed. I, would, I, I wouldn't even tell you what some of them wore. I would be afraid of putting bad images in your mind. I'll tell you what happens. I'll tell you what happens. You, suddenly, you go in and without even saying anything, let something slip and go, oh, I'm sorry, I, did, I forgot you were there. I, I, I wouldn't say that in front of you, I'm sorry. What t- was going on? I mean, I, when I was a kid, I'm a teenager and I'm, I'm working at McDonald's and, and, and this kid who who's doesn't know anything about God, doesn't know anything about salvation. As soon as a new employee was hired, he would pull them aside and say, now we don't swear in front of Jeremy. What's happening? I never asked for that. I never made it known that that I didn't like it. When you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, people feel uncomfortable in their filthiness. And if people feel comfortable, if they feel comfortable in their uncleanness, you might need to question, Lord, is it my holiness or your holiness that's in me? Now, I know some people are tone deaf. I know some people don't. Some people, they don't care. I'm not trying to suggest that that if, if, you don't have, uh, if you don't have the same experience that you're not sanctified, I'm just trying to help us to understand that when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us doing the, the work of holiness, wherever we go, there is a tendency for it to be cleaned up without us doing anything to make it happen. It's not our righteousness. It's not the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's the righteousness of the Holy Spirit in us. Oh, God, that you would rend the heavens, that you'd come down, and that you would make us known to ourselves. Know my heart, oh God. Are there things in, my, in the house that need to be thrown away that I've been saving just in case? Oh, God, know us. Lord, are there, are there things in my life that, that if Satan could, could capitalize, if he could build on it, would trip me up? You know, it used to be preachers would get a lot of mileage preaching on things. And we don't do that in, very much anymore. Occasionally you'll have, a, have one and, and we don't, you know, we don't like those kind of preachers very much. But let me just be honest with you this morning. I could name all sorts of things, but I might not hit yours. But I tell you this morning that if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on a thing, he's got it. The Holy Spirit is a perfect marksman, and he hits the bullseye every single time. We preachers, we scatter shots. It's the best we can do. We're blind we, it'd be foolish for me to try to hit you for I don't know. But the Holy Spirit, He sees all. And He knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. Do you know what concerns me? Is that in our day and age of no more preaching on things, and I, and I think it's a good thing, but the part that concerns me is this the responsibility for making sure that you are living up to where you should be living is on your shoulder. And if you're not asking God to come down and reveal yourself to yourself, if you're neglecting that, well, is it any wonder we're not having revival? Oh, Lord, Lord, how do we pray for revival? Oh, Lord, come down, reveal yourself, and, and then reveal me. And then finally, oh, Lord, come down and work me over. <laughs> he said, Lord, you're, you're the potter and we are the clay. You know, it's not fun to get worked over. It's not fun to get on the wheel. And the, the hands of God begin... He begins probing us where we don't want to be probed. And you know it gets a little dizzy to, to be on the wheel. Round and round and round. He begins to shape us and mold us. And you know he finds a, a stone... And what happens, we just collapse. Potter takes out the stone, throws it out, and begins reworking the clay. Are you on the wheel this morning? Facing some hard things, maybe some trials, maybe some difficulties in your life. I'd ask you, have you lost any stones? Has has God been working you over to reveal some things that are hard? Clay is supposed to be soft and malleable. You know, you'll find out that, uh, that it's a stone when there's resistance to when God puts his finger on it. There's resistance there. God puts his finger on it and you say, oh, Lord, not that. Oh, Lord, not, don't, uh, not that. Lord, I don't really think that's a problem. Lord, I know that attitude is, is, is not right, but it, it's my wife's fault. or It's my husband's fault. They love me better. I wouldn't act that way. But it's not her or him that's on the wheel, it's you. Lord, work me over. Mold me and shape me into your image. Whose image are you in this morning? Some of us are probably still pretty pretty lumpy that lump of clay, we don't look like much. I want you to know that's okay. And some of us, we, we, maybe we've been uh, around the wheel a few times and, and we've, we've, been, we've fallen in and collapsed on ourselves as God's taken out a bunch of stones, and the, but there's a lot more stones there that need to be taken out. I want you to know that's all right. Maybe some of us are getting to the place where we're starting to get pretty close to the being in the image of God. And there aren't many stones left. But you're still on the wheel spinning around. I want to tell you something this morning. As long as you're in the Father's hands, you're in a good place. You know, so oftentimes we try to compare ourselves among ourselves. And it's a foolish errand. You know, two people are on a journey. Some uh, when we uh, when we were in New York and uh, the young people uh, during the camp, we we would miss a morning service and we would go on a hike in the mountains. And I want you to know, your pastor, and being in great physical shape, led the way. No, he was in the back. <laughs> I was with the. Uh, the young people that were the stragglers, you know, that beca- uh, and you know were heavy or, or just out of shape. I, your pastor was very good to make sure that no sheep were lost. <laughs> Do you know we'd make our way up the mountain, following the trail, and they were easy climbs. We're not talking any equipment or anything like that. That, easy is very relative, just just so you know. And you know a person could be coming down off the mountain, and we could be in the same exact spot on the path, but we're headed in different directions. I was headed up, they were headed down. But we're in the same spot. Folks, it's foolish to compare ourselves to someone else. What's important is the direction we're headed in. Lord, come down. Oh Lord, would you come down and just work me over. Maybe I'm not up as far up the road as that person or maybe, maybe I'm uh, ahead of so and so, but it doesn't matter where they are. What matters is where I am. It doesn't matter how spiritual my wife is or my husband is. It doesn't matter how spiritual I think the pastor is or isn't. It doesn't matter where I, where, where I think the Sunday school superintendent is spiritually. What matters is what direction are you headed in. And you know it's very easy to start drifting. I read a story this week of a of a couple that had gone on vacation. I think it was to Florida, if I remember correctly. And they had gotten some rafts and went out into the ocean. And uh, the husband had decided that he was was done. But she thought, you know, she'd get some sun out there away from the people and away from the crowd, and she's just going to lay out there in her raft and just enjoy the sun. He went in, she stayed out. And she didn't realize it, but she was drifting further and further and further from the shore. And when she sat up and took a look around, she realized she was too far from the shore. She's too far. It's a dangerous thing to get comfortable with where we are. It's a dangerous thing to get comfortable. We are in a world where the vast majority of the forces of this world are pushing us away from God. And precious few forces pulling us towards Him. And folks, if we're going to make it we're going to have to have God work us over and work us over and work us over we're going to have to we're going to have to say lord help me to get up on that wheel i know it's i know it's not fun but help me lord in this revival you've shown me some things but lord work me over let's get these things taken care of it's one thing to know what's wrong it's another thing to deal with it you know you preacher was telling me recently that, they're, that they had had some storms and been hit with some of the remnants of the hurricane and their roof was leaking. And there was a huge board debate on whether or not they should actually fix their leaking roof. Folks, if you don't deal with it, because you, you, even though you know it's a problem, it's going to mean further problems down the road. You don't let a leaky roof go. You deal with that just as soon as you know there's a problem. Because what, what now might be a couple hundred dollar fix in just a short time becomes thousands of dollars. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. It's why we have revival twice a year. We have camp meeting. It's why we, why we go to church every week. is because when it's just a little leak, just a little leak. We can patch it up. Just get some tar and tar over it. Just a few dollars. Lord, help me in that area. You're right, Lord. I, 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 I need help in that area. Just patch it over. But when we let it go, folks, I'm afraid of letting things go spiritually. I've seen some people go way further than they promised they'd ever go. I've had friends who said, I, I'm going to go this far and no further, and they've gone a lot further than they ever thought they'd ever go. You don't let a leaky roof go. And you don't let a leaky soul leak out. How do we pray for revival? Lord, come down that Thou would come down and be known, that You would come down and You'd help us to know ourselves. Lord, that You'd come down and work us over so that we can be in Your image. I believe if we'd pray like Isaiah prayed, I believe God would do great things in our midst. Let's stand together.